It's time to have our Bible reading now, uh, and it's my joy to read to you from Colossians chapter 1 and then Psalm 40. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bible or on your device as well, and it's good to keep it out later when Cameron unpacks this for us as well. So Colossians 1, starting in verse 15, it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm and and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel you have heard and it has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And Psalm 40, verse 1 to 3. For the director of music of David, a psalm. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. And many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Amen. Now, obviously, as Luke has mentioned, having your Bible open to Colossians, particularly, we're going to spend most of our time in that space uh, that will be a helpful thing. Uh, I think there's a sermon outline, isn't there, uh, Luke, in the notes? Uh, you don't hand out things, do you? So they'll be digital, uh, that'll be there. So if you're a person who writes, that's there. Now, what I, want, I want you to imagine that, uh, well, you've got, a, you've got a new job, and your new job is you're going to turn up to a room, and in that room is just a big rock, and they give you a little hammer, and a little chisel, and for seven days a week, uh, 14 hours a day, you are going to be in that room, and you're going to be chiseling away at that, just breaking big rocks into little rocks, and then little rocks into little rocks, and you're going to do that for a year. Now, I want you to imagine that at the end of that year, uh, you've been told that you're going to receive $10,000. Okay, how are you feeling about this job? You know, are you, are you excited as you front up for this job? Are you looking forward to how it's going to pay off maybe in the future? $10,000, look, fair income. You could probably earn more collecting cans and recycling them and at least you're outside. But, but imagine, imagine instead of $10,000, you got 10 
million dollars. Would that change how you approached your work? Would it change the way that you fronted up each day looking forward to something? And maybe you're, you're, you're totally altruistic, uh, you don't really care about the money. Um, some of you, you do care about the money, don't you? Uh, the, the future hope, limited. Money's money, but it's not a bad thing. The future hope transforms our present. And as human beings, we need hope. We can't actually live without hope. Uh, a, a Russian novelist, who some of you may have heard his name, I, I confess, I haven't read any of his books because they're, actually they are in English, Dotoyevsky. He said, to live without hope is to cease to live. But the great message that comes to us at Easter is that we have a hope, a hope not just for the future, but a hope that transforms the present. And I'm going to unpack that with you this morning under three headings. Hope challenged, hope offered, and hope lived. That's so you know roughly where we're going. Now, let me warn you, we are going to go reasonably quickly at the start, so don't get all excited because we're going to spend much more time on that third point. Hope challenged, number one. Okay, have you ever been in this situation? This is me. Uh, yes, uh, that is our car. Uh, and uh, we were driving through Parachilna Gorge. It had been raining and uh, the day before. And lo and behold, we found the one really muddy spot uh, and uh, a lot of work to get us out of that. Uh, I've been in other places with that car where no matter how much digging I was going to do, I never was going to get myself out of that. Have you, have you been in those situations or is it just me? Okay, and so what are you doing? You are hoping that someone else is going to come along with a snatch strap or with a winch and they're going to get you out of that situation. But that's a kind of fun thing. Some of us know what it is to be in the slimy pit, in the mud and in the mire to feel that situation of hopelessness. Maybe maybe at the moment you're finding that your hope has been challenged. There is so much happening in this world, isn't there? Global stuff. There's tension between... Or, or there, there's, there's all the weather stuff that's actually happening. There's tension between uh, nations... Uh, I've grown up, I was born in the, right at the start of the early 70s and I lived through that time where people were building bunkers in their house, underneath their houses because the nuclear apocalypse was coming. And then you talk to people who were born in the late 80s and the 90s and they, they've never known that. But it feels like we're going back there. And it's not just tension between countries, uh, it's tension between people as people are fighting, people are protesting, people are uh, combating justice, real and sometimes perhaps imaginary. There is uh, wars that are going on, culture wars that are upsetting our society. I don't know how you find watching the news, reading the newspaper at the moment. There are threats to our economy. We've just spent who knows how much money to dig us out of a situation with... Um, a little virus. Um, 
you know, and we will be paying that back. And some of us look at this and think, is the life that I have had, is that going to be sustained? We feel the challenge. We feel that personal weight. We look forward to maybe less. Maybe you know it, and it's not just the global stuff out there, it's what the doctor told you. It's maybe what the financial advisor told you about your prospects for retirement. It's maybe as you read and engage with all that stuff that's happening, how that makes you feel on that personal level. And you feel the weight. Where can we find hope? And the world is not short of people who are offering. You might remember this picture that was uh, fairly famous a little while ago where Barack Obama comes and he campaigns on hope. Now, I'm not going to say too much about American politics, but I think it's fair to say that possibly he didn't deliver what he offered. Leaders make promises. Margaret Wheatley, an Australian, uh, I think she's Australian, uh, she said, because of increased fear, many people turn to leaders. We want someone to rescue us, to save us, to provide answers, to give us firm ground or strong life drafts. We look to our leaders and I think we've got uh, a couple who are offering to be those leaders for us at the moment. Is this where we find hope? Well, I think few seek salvation through politics anymore. I think as Australians, we've become maybe a little bit more jaded when it comes to our political leaders. So, so maybe it's not there, but maybe it is through social action. And there are people out there who are saying, there is stuff wrong with this world and we need to get rid of it. So you can pick your, your ism, it's racism, it's sexism, it's whatever ism you want, and there is a campaign to tear it down. Now, can I say there's lots of injustice in this world, and there are things that it is right and proper to oppose. But you know what? The way I see it, we tend to just swap seats. In the name of equality, we oppress just a different group. We liberate one group by victimising another group and we just shift things around and we don't really solve the issues. And in the end, we end up ripping everything down. What have you got left? So maybe hope's not there. Maybe, maybe hope's to be found in the promises of science and technology. And science and technology are great. How many would want to go back to even 50 years ago? Think about the little phones. You, you scanned your QR code to get your service outline. And you go, wow, that's, that's a really cool tech because you've got a computer in your pocket. Wow. I'm old enough to remember when phones had to be anchored to walls with lines and really a mobile phone was one with a really long cord and you could actually go into your bedroom dragging this cord through the house. Do you remember those? 
and you actually had to, uh, you couldn't say, hey Siri, and get them to dial the number for you. You had to actually remember someone's phone. My phone has just started picking up the hey Siri there. Uh, you had to remember people's phone numbers. Do you want to go back to a time Why before... I don't want to call anyone, Siri. Thank you. Who would you like to call? Stop it. (laughs) Okay. Who wants to go back before modern medicine? Before modern transport? Technology is great, but you know what? For every problem we solve, there's still more. And sometimes we solve the problem here and just create another one over here. Maybe we look at it and say... It's all too much. And we look to religion. We look to the hope that we might escape. It lets us point the finger at everything that's wrong, feel good about ourselves maybe, and then back off and wait for heaven. And can I say many religions, not just Christianity, get into that. And maybe that's where we are this morning. But perhaps you don't buy that. You don't buy the promises of politics, the promises of science, the social activists, the religious gurus, and you just live in the Australian answer, which is distraction, isn't it? It's another cat video. It's the next holiday, the next renovation, the next Netflix series, the next case of beer, the next level on the computer game, the next case of beer, the next high. We get to where Soren Kierkegaard, the Dutch philosopher, said, people settle for a level of despair they can tolerate and call it happiness. Is that the best answer? And I'd like to suggest, and surprise, surprise, no, that is not the best answer. God has an answer and it came to us in the person and work of the Lord Jesus. It is his work that gives us a hope that transforms not just the future, but changes our present. God's answer came to us at Easter. But what might surprise you is just how big this hope is. Now, I became a Christian when I was in my early teens. Uh, and I need to say that the people who preached the gospel to me, who told me about the death and resurrection of Jesus, what they told me and what I heard might have been two different things. So I need to be fair to them. But really what I understood at that time is that if I put my trust in Jesus, my sins would be forgiven, God would accept me and I would have a place with him in eternity. Is that similar to maybe what you heard? But I was left there going, so what now? What do I do? Do I just sort of hang around until heaven comes or I go? And what's this resurrection bit? Like, if if it's all about Jesus paying for my sins, didn't that happen on the cross? 
What difference does the resurrection make? Is it that the father kind of didn't want to miss, he missed the son? And so, oh, well, I better raise Jesus from the dead because I'd be sad if I didn't have him with me. Is, is that it? That was my understanding. Maybe, maybe you've been much better taught than I was at that stage. I hope so. But I was left asking, what now? And Paul in Colossians, he lays that out for us by giving us a view of Jesus that is so big. Work with me here. In verse 15, he introduces us to Jesus. He says, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And so in John's gospel, in the introduction, John says, no one has ever seen the father, but Jesus has made him known. But there's also another image of God. If you remember right back to the start in Genesis, Adam, Eve, humanity created in the image of God. Not only does Jesus show us the Father, he shows us what we should be. And he is the firstborn. Uh, he is, this is a, t- a title of preeminence. He is number one. And not only is he that, he's, Paul continues, he says, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven or on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. In case you missed it, Jesus is the one through whom, for whom and by whom all things were created. And in case you missed it, that all things includes the visible and the invisible. All the powers in this world, Jesus was the one who put them all together. And not only did he create them, he sustains them. Verse 17, he's before all things. He's number one. And in him, all things hold together. Hebrews chapter one says it brilliantly, that Christ sustains all things by the word of his power, his command. Are you getting a picture of Jesus that is really huge? Paul goes on. Verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. The head, he is its source, he is the authority within the church, that's why we preach the word of God not our own word. He is the one who nourishes and supports that body. He is the head of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Jesus is number one in the new creation as well as the old creation. There is nothing in eternity that Jesus is not supreme in. He is number one. Paul goes on. For the fullness of God, or for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Jesus was not just a a cardboard cutout, a, a mirage. It was so much so that, if you remember the the Last Supper, 
And Jesus is in that upper room. It's in John's Gospel, so actually not the Last Supper account, but in the John's Gospel account of Jesus' spending that last few, last evening with his disciples. And I think it's Philip. He says to Jesus, in one of these outrageous comments, he says, it would be enough for us if you were to show us the Father. Just a, just a small thing, isn't it? And do you remember Jesus' comment back? He says, Philip, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus, fully God, fully man, God with us. This is God's answer. That Jesus Christ, born in a stable, lived, spoke, wept, ministered, served, washed feet, betrayed, beaten, mocked, scorned, nailed to a cross to die, buried in a tomb, raised on the third day and ascended into eternity with the promise that he will return. How big is your Jesus? Are you like me when I started in the Christian life with a Jesus that was a me and Jesus and Jesus deals with my sin? Yes, he does. He deals with my offence before God. Yes, he does. He washes my stain away. Yes, he does. But he is so much bigger. How big is your Jesus? Does it amaze you that that one, the firstborn of creation, the firstborn of the new creation, that one who sustains all things by the word of his power, allowed himself in submission to his Father's will to be stretched on a cross of wood, submitted to the nails. How big is your Jesus? The author, the purpose, the one through whom all things were made did that. And Paul tells us he did it to reconcile us to the Father, to restore us to right relationship, us who had said, we want nothing to do with you. God, nothing in my life. I don't want to submit to you. Jesus came to remove that offence. But, but interesting, if you look at the Bible, you will actually see in verse 20 that that's not what Paul says. That this Jesus did not come to reconcile us. He came to reconcile, to make peace through his blood shed on the cross, all things. The things in heaven, the things on earth, the thrones, the powers, the authorities, the rulers, all things. 
Because when humanity rejected God, our rejection, because we were God's rulers, it had implications, Scripture tells us, for the whole of creation. So why is all this crazy stuff happening in the natural world? Well, it's happening because creation is groaning, Romans 8 tells us. Because creation was subject to frustration. Because creation fell when humanity fell. And what is God's answer? Not to just screw it up and throw it in the bin, but in Christ to reconcile us Yes, that's there in the next verse. You were once alienated for God and enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you. Yes, he's done it for you and for me. But he's done it as he has reconciled all things. There's a wonderful verse, one of the first verses I learnt by heart, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Does anyone remember it? If anyone is in new Christ, uh, anyone is in Christ Jesus, the new creation has come. So, what does it mean if Jesus, if what we remember at Easter, is that Jesus reconciled us, yes, but all things, and that will come as He brings the new creation in when He returns. What does it mean to live as new creations now? What does it mean to live out our hope? Three points, just really quickly to finish. We must remain, Paul tells us. We have this amazing grace in verse 22. He has reconciled us by Christ's physical body through death to present us, hear these words, holy in his sight. So what we saw this morning with Johann's baptism This symbolic washing is a real thing that Christ achieved through the cross, that we are washed clean, that we are made holy without blemish, free from accusation. And it happened through the finished work of Christ. He has reconciled us by Christ's physical body through death. It is an act of God's grace. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. But he in his love freely gives it. But then Paul says this. If, verse 23, if you continue in your faith, you can't touch base with Jesus and then move on. We've got the rock here to stand on. You must stay on the rock. That is what Paul is saying. If. Now, I've known Luke for a while now. It's unlikely, I think, that Luke is going to come in and say, hey guys, I've discovered something new. Jesus, yeah, Jesus is okay, but you know what? There's a whole lot of other stuff you've got to do to get right with God. I don't think Luke is going to do that. But you know what? There's a more subtle shift that many of us make. 
there's a more subtle shift the longer you go on in the Christian life because grace becomes less amazing because we get used to it. We start taking it for granted. It's kind of like in relationships. You can see this happening with people that unless they make special effort to renew their relationships, that they kind of go and start taking one another for granted. Oh yeah, she's there, yeah, he's there. We can do this with God. You see, the whole Christian life is built on this motivation. Guilty, grace, gratitude. So we live not to earn God's favour, but in response to his favour. We live the Christian life, we serve him in our lives in response to his grace, not to earn it. But if you go on in the Christian life, you'll be starting to, if you like everyone else, bring in your works. Jesus plus serving at church, reading my Bible, sharing my faith, giving, we'll start smuggling these things in. And then you start to love Jesus less because you know what? You start earning this. And so the danger is that we shift away, that we lose our love. We must remain. We must rejoice. God gives us a song to sing, a song of praise because of his grace. Does our theology, does our study of Christ lead us to praise, lead us to worship? Or are we people who just chalk our heads with the right facts, but our hearts remain somewhere else? Does our theology lead us to worship? Do people look at us? And like they looked at the Apostle Paul, uh, not the Apostle Paul, King David in Psalm 40, Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Do they see our hope? Do they see lives overflowing with gratitude, with thankfulness? We need to remain, we need to rejoice, and we need to reflect. What does it mean for you as you walk out of here? You need to stick with Jesus. You need to rejoice in him. And there is so much to rejoice about. But we need to reflect that. If anyone is in Christ, Paul tells us, the new creation has come. What does it mean for Trinity Golden Grove to be a new creation community? What does it mean for you in your workplace? What does it mean for you in in your street, in your household? One of the dangers for Christians is that we back off We disengage. We want to share the gospel, but it's kind of like inviting people onto the lifeboat and we're going to go over there and leave this to drown. What does it mean that Christ reconciled all things? I think it means that as Christians, we need to be on the front foot. We don't disengage, we engage. And we engage to bless. Because your non-Christian neighbour, 
because the environment in which we live in, because this, the human social structures that we are part of, they have value before God because in Christ, God has reconciled all things. How do we embody that hope to be people who bring that new creation into that space? Simple ways. How do you treat the young guy at the checkout in your grocery, who's putting your groceries through in a way that blesses him? How do you care for your elderly neighbour in a way that shares the hope that is yours because it shows the value for that person? How do you think about your work? Maybe the best way to think about your work as a Christian is not necessarily how much am I going to earn, but maybe how can I contribute most to bring God's peace, God's blessing, God's agenda in this world? How can we reflect the new creation? Karen and I had a discussion on the way here this morning. As we drove out, there was a beer bottle on our front lawn. Uh, we have a, a, a culture in our particular area where um, groups of guys mainly drink too much, wander around our community, shout at each other, uh, and, uh, and leave their rubbish on our front lawn, which is a great blessing because I get to clean up after them, which is great, isn't it? But we like, we had a discussion. We didn't come up with an answer, but how could we be part of actually being God's blessing into that culture. Because they're our neighbours. I don't know what the issues for you are, but do you see what maybe God is calling you to? And as we live these lives, Peter tells us that as we set Christ apart as Lord, we need to be giving, prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us for the reason of the hope why are you like this? Why do you do this? And let me leave you, because I know I have abused my, my welcome here a little bit. Let me leave you with a quote. It's designed to provoke. A man called Sen Sindaya, he's an Australian leadership expert. He's Christian. He says, if meat goes bad because it's, and becomes inedible, there is no sense in blaming the meat. For that is what happens when bacteria left alone to breed. The question to ask is, where is the salt? Just so. If society deteriorates and its standards decline till it becomes like a dark night or a stinking fish, there is no sense of blaming society. For that is what happens when fallen men and women are left to themselves and human selfishness is unchecked. The question to ask is, where is the church? Brothers and sisters, how can we live as those who know, we know in our hearts the future is ours. God has reconciled all things and he will make all things new. How does that hit the ground in your life? Let me pray. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us, 
that if we have been stirred to ask any questions, if your word is going to challenge, to comfort, to correct and rebuke, that your spirit would be at work driving those things home, taking us to the wonder of the cross and helping us see the motivation that comes as gratitude in response to that grace. And Father, we do pray that by your spirit you would give us the strength and the sensitivity to see how we should live as new creations while we wait for Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen.